Hi, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. The subject that we're going to talk about today is how your world ends when you love a partner with NPD. Letting them go is really not a choice if you want to survive. So it ends with a bang and not a whimper. In T.S. Eliot's poem, The Hollow Men, he describes a world filled with empty people. These straw men roam the earth in something that could best be described as a twilight kingdom, a foreboding place that resembles the underworld. These empty souls pass among us and move around us, seeking to be reanimated from the Latin word animus, meaning breath. But they're too soulless to become real in any sense of the word. The living can only temporarily breathe life into these hollow, empty men. So they must constantly seek fuel, this gift of living breath, in order to feel alive. And make no mistake, the search for that fuel is always like their number one priority. It's like it's more important than anything. They have to have it. They have to have more. They have to have better. They have to have enough. And uh, it just really drives them forward in some very unhealthy ways. I loved my narcopath who consumed me completely. In the end, there was really not much left of me. I felt it coming. In his indifference, his cold apathy, and the way he stared at me, as if he was capturing a mental snapshot to carry with him when it was time to go. The cold, black, glittery eyes that burned holes into my soul the night that he took off his mask. We were sitting across the room from each other in our little Airbnb in Lisbon, Portugal. You know, you would think that that would be just so perfect in so many ways. I don't know what the devil really looks like, Satan, you know. But I'm pretty sure that he captured it, my ex, that he captured that look quite accurately at that moment. It, it was pure evil and murderous intention was what it looked like. And it, it's almost as if he were overcome with some derisive kind of pleasure in imagining the torture that he would soon inflict upon me. I couldn't understand what was happening. Like, why is he being like this? Why is, why is he looking this way at me? What did I do? But it was the face of just pure abject evil. It's just, I can't describe it any other way. And whatever Luciferian entities entered him, just, you know, that stayed with him, they took over at that, at, at that moment. Because, you know, this was the same man who was awesome so much of the time, kind and wonderful and sweet and soft-spoken, 
year after year after year after year of our marriage, our long marriage, after episodic periods of like distrust and insecurity, after 16 long years sprinkled with joy and bliss, ignorance and denial, I think I actually believed that he would always be by my side. I told myself this was just a rough patch, a bumpy spot. It was just a momentary lapse of reason. Whatever crazy thing he did, whatever ways that he betrayed me and dehumanized me. Well, I thought it would certainly pass. The signs were there. All the writing was on the wall. I just refused to look or listen. The possibility that he might leave was just too much for me to consider. So now, for the past 16 months, since his unexpected unexpected departure, also known as the discard, um, I have suffered. I've suffered the anguish that only the victim of abuse and mind fuckery could possibly understand. I know that the people around me do not get it. Like, why? I cannot seem to recover and just move on. But this isn't a regular breakup or divorce. This is the aftermath of trauma bonding and years of conditioning so that my addiction and attachment to the torture, it's just bigger than me. It owns me. I belong to it. Ever since I was a little girl, I I have felt like I was locked in a room with a monster in the corner. My mother is the one who put me in that room, and she left me there to die. I desperately tried to claw my way out, screaming and wailing and begging for rescue from the beast that grew fatter from my fear until one day it just gobbled me up and I had no choice but to surrender. Since that early carnage, I have repeated the same scenario three times with the men in my life. I suppose it was my best effort to reconstruct the scene of the crime with similar actors and the same, um, the same similar, you know, monster in the room. Each time the ending was the same. I never found my way out. I never learned. I was hopelessly bound to the beast, tethered to the torture, knowing I would cease to exist if I somehow managed to escape. So I stayed. I stayed. And each time I was brutally devoured by this beastie thing, the one I loved and knew so organically and intrinsically, the one without mercy or compassion. The morning he left without warning, he said, I don't believe in your God. I don't believe in your morals. I don't want what you want. I'm not like you. Everything you've ever told me was a lie. He was completely without emotion, aside from laughing at the texts 
that one of his whores or side pieces was sending in the midst of my complete annihilation. He was doing that. Incredible. In the days leading up to it, he continued to say he loved me and held my hand and showed affection and kindness. The speed with which he changed his mind and decided to dispose of me was just mind-numbing. None of this was normal or typical. This was some crazy demon-fueled pathology and evil that consumed him so that I could not find anything recognizable in him that even resembled my husband. He was irreverent, defiant, cruel, smirking with an arrogance that kills. It felt like I had been stung by a venomous snake and that instead of seeking help, I just held on to it. And as it continued to sink its poisonous fangs into me over and over again, I couldn't let go. I couldn't. I was paralyzed. I should have pushed him away and run to safety, escaping with my life, free from the madness. But I couldn't. I just held him as he wrapped around me and repeatedly injected the lethal poison into my veins. I couldn't even try to save myself. Like the toxin was so powerful, I couldn't even move. I couldn't believe that he was trying to kill me, injure me, pierce me to the bone. Later, when I went to energy healers and alchemists and people who were tuned in to some otherworldly vibration, they said that he had Luciferian entities that had possessed him. And they described how these things entered me through him, using him as a conduit for evil. His demons had infected me as well, but it didn't matter because I just loved him. I loved him anyway. And even if it killed me, well, I wasn't going anywhere. At least he would be beside me when I died. Wow. Most normal relationships began to fizzle and slide into the pit of no return after many arguments, long, painful talks, and half-hearted efforts to save the relationship. It takes a while, and over the months and years that you both know you might be headed in the wrong direction or different directions, or maybe just no direction at all as you drift in a sea of apathy, it slowly sinks in and it becomes clear and nobody's surprised or blindsided. You just, it's like you have time to process and, and prepare, negotiate and settle, build resilience and courage. I didn't have that. In a relationship with a disordered narcissist sociopath, it, it just comes out of nowhere and it just punches you in the face with a force that breaks your neck and your heart at the same time. Sure, none of this is rational or 
reasoned. Um, it is something much more insidious and lethal. A heroin addict, they got tangled up with a covert narcissist, vulnerable narcissist, recently reported that withdrawal from a relationship with a narcopath or sociopath is worse than withdrawal from heroin. On a cellular level, they alter your very DNA. On a mental level, they carve out deep ruts in your brain and destroy the healthy chemical balance that you have there. On a physical level, they plant trauma throughout your body that detonates after they leave, transforming your flesh and blood into a quivering, trembling mess, unable to even stand or sleep or even to survive. Whimper or wail, you will want to die and you will want to kill. Nothing will ever be the same. It doesn't end with a fizzle or some slow wilting away. A relationship with a narcopath feels like diamonds, but turns you to dust. You can't imagine life without them. You can't imagine breathing without them. So when they discard you, it is the end of you. It is kind of like death. It is death. The gunshot blast blows you to pieces and it ends with a bang. So what power do you have if you are tangled up with a disordered person? You know, you, you don't. You have to break down the door and get out of the room where you are, where you live. And, and you know, you're bound to this beast. It will not suddenly transform into a handsome prince. There are demons in him that you cannot defeat. You already know how it ends. He kills you every single time. You die in one way or another. That's how it ends. That's how it's scripted. That's always what's going to happen. So what do you do when you see the glittery black murder in their eyes? You run. You run. When you know, you go. Get out, stay out. No contact forever. It is your only chance of survival if you want um, to live, if you want to live. Even if you believe you will die without them, you're probably not going to. Without them, you might survive. But if you stay, you will definitely, definitely not end up okay. Because you know what? He is a beast. He only knows how to destroy. Maybe someone put him into the room, you know, the room with the monster. Instead of being consumed, he became the abomination. 
I spent years feeling sorry for his curse and believing I could fix him. I loved him enough to take his pain, to carry it for him, to try to wash it away in the holy waters of my faith and devotion and love. But it was never enough. It was never enough to save him or to transform him or to restore his soul. Maybe disappearing and ceasing to exist is not the worst ending. You might find a way to discover a new life and a new identity. Um, you know, there, there could be something else outside of that room. But one thing is for certain. One thing. If you love this beast and you cannot leave him, you will lose everything that ever mattered to you. And you will most certainly die. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.